The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJD 800. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of Passion. Uh, Tonight, uh, it's Trouble Tuesdays, which means I answer all of your sex, love, relationship questions, or whatever else you want to talk about. You want to vent, you want to tell me about your frustrations, uh, whatever it is, you just text me here at 514-800. Of course, you can always email me to Lori at drlaurie.com. Now, before I get into the questions and all that, I wanted to share with you something that I got in, in my email, and I did not know this. Uh, But did you know that we are celebrating 100 years of radio in Canada and Canada Post is uh, tomorrow on May 20th. They're issuing a set of stamps marking the 100th anniversary of the first scheduled Canadian radio broadcast. So we are celebrating a century of radio in our country. I've been in radio for 30 years now. Uh, So I was going to tell you a little bit about uh, my career in radio just to commemorate this, but I just want to share with you the, um, the media release that I got just to give you a little bit of history. On the evening of May 20th, 1920, members of the Royal Society of Canada gathered at Ottawa Chateau Laurier to hear a live performance. What was novel, even historic, was that soprano Dorothy Lutton was 200 kilometers away in Montreal. Lutton's performance was broadcast from radio station XWA, which stood for Experimental Wireless Apparatus, at the Marconi Factory Studios in Montreal. It ushered in the radio age in Canada. Within two decades, millions were listening and radio was reshaping the country. Radio has enthralled us, entertained us, and engaged us in ways that no one in that Ottawa ballroom dreamed of a century ago. And like I said, uh, tomorrow Canada Post will issue their set of stamps commemorating this. Station XWA soon changed its call letters to, you'll remember this some of you, CFCF, which stood for Canada's First, Canada's Finest and became a broadcasting powerhouse before leaving the airwaves in 2010. In 1922, Sika one of 34 licensed stations in Canada, became the first in North America to offer French-language programming. Radios were still a luxury beyond the reach of many, but more than 300,000 Canadian households eagerly welcomed the new medium into their living rooms in its first decade. Uh, early adapters uh, depended on home-built uh, systems. They were um, primitive receivers, often little more than a wooden box containing a jumble of wires and other hardware, and listened through a headset. Uh, Canadian consumers began to demand the latest in radio technologies, and the manufacturing and selling of radio became lucrative. Uh, Recognizing the potential of the new technology, retailers like the T. Eaton Company created specialized catalogs and cultivated a tech-savvy sales staff. Imagine what tech-savvy was back then. So it's been a century of bringing the world into our uh, our, uh, homes. 
of course, you're all uh, avid listeners, right, of, of radio, if you're listening to us here. So I just thought I would share a little bit of um, just my, my career in radio and, and when it started and how it started. Many of you know the story. You've heard me here before, so you've heard me uh, talk about the people who got me started in this business. It was purely by accident, I'm going to tell you right now. So I did not set out to have a career in radio at all. I uh, was a a sex therapist back then, uh, a psychotherapist. I was working at a clinic at the Montreal General Hospital. We have a a, a sexual dysfunction clinic there where I did my training, actually, and where I was working. So this was 30 years ago. And um, Rick Moffat who you, some of you know the voice, of course, and he, uh, at the time, was hosting a show called The Love Line on our sister station, Virgin Radio, which was back then Mix 96, and it was a, a once-a-week, I think it was two hours, if I'm not mistaken, late at night, where... Um, it was talking about sex and relationships and well it was talking about love and that or or just general things and he wanted to turn it into something more on the sexual side so he came by to our clinic and asked uh, our group if anyone was interested in co-hosting the show with him and i said sure i would give it a try i was all of maybe 25 years old at the time i think yeah something like it 25 or 26 years old uh, and that's when I started doing this, The Love Line. This was uh, 30 years ago. I did that show once a week for nine years as a regular uh, co-host on that. And then nine years in, uh, Rick Moffat uh, was then at CJD, had become the program director, and had decided to put on this show, Passion. When Passion started in the airwaves in 1999, it was a once-a-week show uh, for two hours. Uh, I think it lasted once a week, maybe for three months or six months. I can't remember exactly, but it soon became a nightly spot, a night, an, a nightly show. And so this show has been on the air right now. It'll be 21 years. We're going into our 22nd year very, very soon. So that is my career in radio. Did not set out for it. Just happened serendipitously and has shaped my, I guess, everything I've done uh, since then. So thank you, a big thank you uh, to Rick Moffat who gave me my, my start in radio. And this is uh, in celebration of a hundred years of the radio business, of radio being broadcast in, in Canada. So there's a little um, little about me and a little bit of history on uh, on radio, which I thought was definitely worth, uh, worth mentioning. So now when you see stamps with uh, a radio on it and old-fashioned radio and what have you that's that's why they're there to commemorate 100 years okay your questions if you have any questions that you want to text me uh, you can really do that uh, at 514-800 somebody wrote in that's really neat trivial knowledge I actually worked at CFCF yet never knew the meaning of the acronym Yeah, I know. I, I, and, and if you ask me what, the, what CJD stands for, I, can't, I forget now. <laughs> so if somebody wants to uh, send that in, I know it stands for the name of someone, but I'm 
completely at a loss as to what it is, which is shameful considering this is the station I've been on for so many years. But just like you, you know, working at a station and not knowing what the call letters are, um, I should not really admit that, but, uh, but there it is. All right, uh, let me see. I got something here corona-related. So if you have any uh, any thoughts or any uh, any gripes, any frustrations, anything that you want to share with our listeners, with our community here, because we, tr- we really are a wonderful community of passion listeners and helping each other out and all of that, then, uh, then please share. Uh, hi, Dr. Lori. Always a pleasure to listen to your show. Thank you. I don't know where this pandemic or coronavirus is going, but I can tell you that people still do not take it seriously. I've been self-isolating since early March over the weekend I decided to take a short drive in my area. I saw groups of five and even ten people together of all ages having conversations with each other like it was a regular day. No one two meters apart nor wearing masks. I saw people walking side by side. Same thing. It is astonishing how ignorant people are of the situation we are in. I strongly believe that with all of these restrictions being lifted and the public's behavior we will be back to square one in no time. I hear your uh frustration absolutely i think uh, we we've all experienced that seeing that bear in mind though people walking together who may be of the same family also so some families are congregate together so you have to bear in mind that that too when i walk with my husband i'm not walking six feet apart from him so um but yes i definitely hear uh your frustration uh, coming up, I have some uh, interesting questions to answer, um, and hopefully you'll weigh in on, on them as well. They're interesting, so we'll get to that. A safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's Passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Trouble Tuesday tonight on the program. I will answer all of your sex, love, relationship questions or any uh, any thoughts that you have. And please feel free to respond to any of the questions as well. So if you have experience with this or you have an opinion or you think I missed something or another angle or what have you, people learn from each other. So I think it's uh, it's important. All right. Hello, Dr. Lori. I'm contemplating a sexual relationship with someone who has been a friend and love interest for years. Once we are past the crisis, I hope to bring this new chapter with him. We've talked about sex, and he expressed that he wants me to take in his cum. That is so strange to me, though I have heard about it online. It doesn't seem right, and the thought makes me want to gag. Is that an unhealthy act? I'm not, first of all, I'm not clear as to what you mean by that. Are you talking about uh, oral sex and swallow, and he's asking you to swallow his sperm? Are you talk, is he talking about having unprotected sex? So either one of those things, first of all, you have a, a, you should be practicing safe sex, especially if you are, don't know yet if you're in an exclusive uh, relationship, you want to think about birth control, you want to think about protection, those things matter. Um, and whatever you can catch uh, in your uh, vagina, you can catch in your throat as well. So you need to, I mean, it, it, you should be protecting yourself. So you may want to talk about, uh, you may want to have that conversation, uh, the sex conversation with him or the, the, the safe sex conversation with him about that. 
if the the thought makes you gag of of uh, swallowing sperm, then say so, or at least say no. It's not your thing, and you'd rather not, and it's not a pleasant experience for you, and and what have you. And you can perform oral sex without having to uh, to take it all in, so to speak, or take in uh, the cum. Yes, online you may see it. Yes, it could be something that um, men want. Some men, not all men will ask for that or or insist or want that but you have a right to have your own boundaries about that as well so it's okay to know your boundaries and to express those boundaries as well if anybody else wants to add something to that uh, please do uh, I think CJD stands for C Joseph Arthur DuPont uh, <laughs> Uh, and Loveline on Mix 96 was a much better show. Very raunchy. <laughs> Passion is way too safe and watered down. Sorry, that's my opinion. I stand by it. I like raunch. No censorship. Um, you know, it was, I, I'll tell you what it was back then, okay? And why it felt raunchier, if you will. It was the the listeners who called in with questions. So back then we didn't have text messages or anything. We didn't even have, um, we, we didn't even have like a, a, what's it called? A delay, right? Where you can wipe somebody out if they sweared or, or what have you. We just have to hang, hang up on them. We couldn't erase them or we couldn't, we couldn't bleep them out or anything like that. So, and, and the audience, the listening audience was far younger. And what I noticed back then was that there were a lot of young teenagers who were asking, you know, they were trying to trip us up. Like they were trying to ask the most outrageous, sometimes very real questions, of course, but sometimes quite out there questions to see what we would answer. And so it gave that flavor of a little bit of the of the raunch. This show for me, it was a very different, first of all, the audience is completely different. It's a more sophisticated audience. And for me to share the knowledge, uh, science-based information and things like that is um, far more my speed and who I am. Although that was fun, but it was a, a whole other experience. So I, I listen, everybody has a right to their opinion and, and, and that's okay. Like, uh, I, I can respect uh, your uh, your opinion. Hi, Dr. Lori. Beautiful stamp set. Thanks for bringing it and your career debut onto the show in commemoration. I used to collect stamps as a kid, so I always appreciate the art form. My grandfather was a radio repairman in, in the 40s and 50s. My dad, working with the TV broadcast antennas and his colleague in AM broadcast, took us to CFCF Studios and transmitters more times than I can count. Yeah, we forget, you know, I, I don't like, I, I like to remember the, the history of things that, where we came from and the technologies. And I think young people too need to know where the, the roots of all of this were, right? To me, it's a, it's an important lesson and not one I would want to forget. All right, uh, let's see. Hi, I don't know if this is the right place to ask this question. Yes, it is. How come when my wife and I have intercourse, she bleeds? Is that normal or is it serious? So that's very hard to answer without knowing more details like how old is your wife? Uh, is uh, Are you using enough uh, lubrication? 
usually if you're talking about blood, how much blood are we talking about? We're talking about little droplets of blood. Are we talking about also a burning after or a little bit of pain? It could be that uh, there's little cuts in the vagina that get uh, opened up when, uh, when there's sex, especially if there's not enough lubrication, which may cause some bleeding. If she's an older woman, then as women go through uh, menopause, past menopause, their vaginas do become drier. The lining of the vagina does become uh, thinner. So there's definitely a risk of little, little tiny cuts that can cause a little bit of bleeding and, um, and pain. Usually there's pain. So that would be the question that I, I would ask. I, it doesn't really indicate anything serious if it's like that, but anything that you see that is different, you're, this is something that at a regular checkup, at a yearly checkup, your wife should be mentioning to her doctor, hey, I'm bleeding every time I have intercourse. And then the doctor will ask, well, how much blood is there? And, and how aroused are you? And are you using any lubrication? And so all of those questions to at least find out what is going on internally. So for the first thing, recommendation is use a good lubricant. Uh, I recommend a silicone-based lubricant. It's much softer, much, it lasts longer. It doesn't tend to dry up like the water-based, some water-based ones. So that would be where uh, I would go. Uh, another text writes, I like the love line. Yes, the two-hour format lent itself to some at times wild calls in. <laughs> Passion is wonderful too. I like the guests and academic angle. Uh, yes. And you know, what's interesting is I have, uh, listeners who, and, and let me know if you were one of those listeners who have been around, uh, me for 30 years, because I've had listeners who were very young when they were listening to the love line who are now, uh, AM radio listeners, talk radio listeners, and they've graduated and they're now in their forties or so. So the thirties and forties, um, so it's interesting to see the the progression and move away from a different different style of uh, of radio programming and what we like and what we like to uh, what we like to hear. So thank you for that. Appreciate it. Five one four eight hundred. If you want to text in, you can also call in, of course, to five one four seven nine zero zero eight hundred. Uh, I am aware that there is no cure for herpes, but are there any natural treatment options? How effective are they? So I don't know of any natural uh, treatment options for herpes. I just know of antiviral drugs that if somebody has recurrent herpes outbreaks, so blisters on their genitals, then they can take uh, either uh, an antiviral drug during the outbreaks or prophylactically, meaning that they can take it on a regular basis, especially if they get regular outbreaks, to prevent the, the um, to reduce the, the virus or the viral load. You cannot get rid of herpes. It's in you for life, but there you can prevent the outbreaks and it helps to prevent transmission with the antiviral um, drugs. So there you have it. 
Uh, I couldn't agree with your previous texter, Lori, as I see my proper neighbors still regularly having barbecue parties as well as gatherings and sleepovers. Today, I actually saw another neighbor waltz right into her upstairs tenant's apartment, not only without any protective gear, but altogether barefoot. If people don't begin to take the recommendation seriously, further lockdowns, restrictions, and worse, deaths will be inevitable, consequently prolonging the devastating situation. Don't people realize that as the old adage goes, goes an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure I agree with you I think there are a lot of people who are simply fed up more than anything after three months on of social isolation are itching itching to uh, get out and start uh, socializing and doing things but uh, this is something that of course we all have to be very 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 careful and and weigh the risks I mean uh, I'm not going to lie. I have had my daughter come by outside only. Nobody's allowed in the house. Outside, sitting uh, two meters apart, um, you know, to have a conversation, just to see her. So that that's happened, uh, but have not invited anybody into uh, into my home. But I, it's uh, yeah, it's it's quite tough. Um, you were a sex expert at 25. <laughs> <laughs> question mark question mark yeah 25 I pretty much finished my uh, training in that in that area yes <laughs> uh, good evening just wondering if coronavirus can be spread through semen so on Friday I talked about a study uh, a China study that found uh, in in um, patients who had had severe symptoms and those who were recovering but had moderate to severe symptoms that they had found in a in 16 I think I think it was 16 percent of them they had found some of the virus in semen so they were now they were warning that there is a, a potential for the transmission through semen okay however it's a very small study too early to tell no replication yet there have there was another study done on people who had who were uh, asymptomatic and their uh, the semen was checked and there was none. So it's really hard to know right now until there are far more um, far more studies to uh, to determine if it can be transmitted. But if if you suspect that you uh, have COVID, then you should probably abstain from that kind of close contact uh, anyway. Coming up, questions about uh, lubricants, more questions about semen, and anything else you want to throw my way here at 514-800. Right now, let's check in with our CJD 800 newsroom. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. From the pleasure and the politics to the hang-ups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJD 800. Welcome to the second half of Trouble Tuesdays, where I answer your questions about love, sex, and relationships, and take your comments and whatever else you want to throw our way here. Uh, so this question, uh, how about using oil mineral as lubricants, example, almond or coconut oil? So generally speaking, first of all, you can't use an oil-based anything with condoms. So that's uh, number one. It breaks down the latex in the condoms and not a good idea. Uh, you don't want to do that. 
you could use coconut oil. You have to see how you how the vagina reacts to it. Some people, some women, uh, are quite sensitive to products in their vaginas, and so you have to be you have to be watchful of that. So if you want something that is close to the feel of an oil, that's that would be a silicone based one. And you try to get the ones with absolutely no scent or anything like that. So the least amount of, uh, of chemicals, usually the better. But, uh, but oils, they can work too. Coconut oil can also be good as long as you're not responding uh, negatively to it somehow uh, or you're not, you don't need to use uh, condoms. Another texter says, yeah, I'm seeing groups of people, some of different ethnic origins, and I don't think all those kids are adopted. So you're talking about a lot of play dates and such. Like I walk around our neighborhood and there's a couple of streets with lots and lots of kids and the kids do all seem to be playing together. I can't, how difficult must it be to teach children to keep six feet apart from each other? That's the other thing. And so, and then I worry, of course, if they're playing basketball, they're all touching the same ball and, and stuff like that. So these are, I mean, parents have to take that responsibility and, and, um, have to supervise, I guess, a bit more. Uh, since the beginning of the quarantine, I've reverted to an old habit of masturbating to porn to relieve myself. I currently do not have a partner, and I'm afraid this bad habit will desensitize my pleasure senses and reduce my ability to orgasm with a live partner once this pandemic passes on. What can I do to, to supplant my urges when we're still socially distancing? Look, you're, it's okay to have a libido and to have sexual urges. It's perfectly fine to masturbate. If you're not masturbating compulsively, then uh, I don't think you really have anything to worry about. Um, listen, most of the population watches porn to some degree uh, to just to get off, for example. not If you're watching it for hours on end and you're masturbating for hours on end, you're going to, yes, that will create problems later on. But if this is something that you do... Um, even if it's once a day for 10 minutes or, or whatever it is, it should not really create a problem. Once you get into a relationship, you would just uh, have this in mind without being obsessed about it, by the way, and then uh, because that could cause, create some performance anxiety in you. But you would you would just, you know, get off the porn, stop the masturbation and focus on your partner. And it might take a little bit of time, but you would get used to another form of uh, stimulation. So not not something you really, really need to worry about. And when you say like bad habit, I, I don't know what the bad habit is because then everybody has this bad habit of, of masturbating or watching porn. It doesn't have to be a bad habit. It can just be a habit, but it doesn't have to be bad. Uh, it, again, it depends on the amount, the extent and all of that. Uh, text writes, and if these people are willing to take the calculated risk and that's the only person they see, so be it. We must be realistic. We are creatures of habit. And when Montreal is completely opened up, it does not mean the virus is gone. It just means hospitals can handle expected cases. This is not going away soon. It will be a controlled infection rate. And that's it. It's It, it has to be 
controlled. So even when things open up, it will open up differently. We're not going back to the same old way. That's what people have to remember. So I was listening to a bunch of doctors earlier saying, you know, even when they start letting gatherings, it will never be more than 10 people at a time. Still no weddings, still no funerals, still no large gatherings of any kinds are, are recommended. But um, seeing your family and keeping the social distance or wearing masks, like those are calculated risks that um, we most of us will start to take because the also the risk of isolation and what that does to our mental health is also a factor that we have to consider. Uh, so all of that put together goes all of it goes into uh, the equation. Another texter, uh, apparently, as was announced in the news today, studies showed that merely speaking releases droplets into the air, which can linger for up to 15 minutes. Seems Trudeau was correct in warning us against moistly speaking after all. Yep. So if you're talking with someone for a, a while, right next to them, absolutely, That uh, and you're talking to them for a long while, but there's a, also an article that I read about the time factor, like how long you stay in that environment also matters. So uh, listen, new information is coming to our ears constantly, right? Um, can you put this out there? Do a lot of people... Uh, keep things bottled up and to themselves. Okay, I'm putting it out there. How many people keep things inside and don't talk about what? Their their baggage, their emotions, their troubles. I can tell you lots of people do that. Many people don't want to burden others. It, sadly, they, they end up suffering in silence because they are they're too, too caring about, uh, like, they don't want to burden somebody else. They don't want to put it out there. So it isn't so much about risking for themselves. It's often because they, they, they just don't want to, the other person to worry about them or things like that. Sometimes it's the not wanting to be uh, vulnerable because we've been hurt in the past. So you're not sharing at that level of uh, emotions, not sharing your, your deep darks insides, um, keeps you away from true intimacy as well, because intimacy is about, think about the word into me, see, you see into the other person, you allow the other person to see into you, which is, you know, your baggage, your emotions, all of these things. So when you don't let out what's inside, you're actually not sharing that part of you, um, with, uh, with your people around you. Uh, passion, po- passion poet, 100 years of radio, voices in the air, telling a story. Let's celebrate the last 30 years, 30 years of Dr. Lori. That's your shortest poem so far. Um, tonight on the John Paul Show, we were weighing in on a situation where a woman was still breastfeeding her eight-year-old kid, yikes, several times a day, believe it or not, which everyone agreed was quite the exaggeration, not to mention creepy, as well as it being apparently bad for your teeth at that age. I would be curious to know your professional opinion on such an unnecessary prolonged practice. Uh, I find it a bit creepy myself, to tell you the truth. Um, not seen the, the science to it, but bad for your teeth. I mean, breast milk is is sweeter, so has, has that sugar. I don't know if that that would be why it would be bad for your teeth, but the I'm just thinking of the social like 
what happens when they're out in public and this kid says, I want to drink mommy, like at that age. And there's something about it that, uh, I, I'm just wondering what the explain, what that woman's explanation is for wanting to prolong, uh, breastfeeding until that age. It certainly has nothing to do with the need, uh, the kid doesn't need that uh, breast milk <laughs> at eight years old. So um, that's the oldest I've ever heard. I mean, I've, I've heard of women breastfeeding their kids till they were five. I don't want to judge too harshly either. So I, I, I'd like to hear the, their reasoning behind it. But eight years old, I find that, I find that a little bit, uh, it's like an eight-year-old also with a pacifier. I would find that a little strange also, right? Like not weaning off of a pacifier at eight years old. But then again, you have grownups. I've I've seen grownups who suck their thumbs. I really have. So I don't know. That's a, it's an interesting, interesting question. If you have any comments, thoughts, questions for me, send them in at 514-800. Remember, you can also send in uh, to me uh, by email to Lori at drlaurie.com. Coming up, a question about why semen is sometimes chunky and sometimes watery. We'll answer that one next. Passion with Dr. Lori Batito on CJAD 800. Trouble Tuesday. So I just um, Googled uh, breastfeeding at eight years old, and then I fall on this uh, this uh, article about a British mom who was breastfeeding her daughter at age till age nine. Uh, she um, said that it was completely normal and has cemented a lifelong bond between them. Okay, well, how old? let's see when the kid is 20 and you know 18 or 15 or 16 and see if it's the same thing but anyway uh, meaning let's see how the the bond is not that uh, I'm saying it wouldn't be close but you know teenagers do their teenage stuff and rebellion and, and things like that she said despite breastfeeding for almost a decade she is happy the schoolgirl made her own decision to stop two months ago she supports natural term weaning and claims that her daughter is healthy and rarely ill thanks to the beneficial properties of uh breast milk so i mean this woman was you know <laughs> was accused actually of child abuse be because of this, which is interesting. And she says there are many mothers out there who are doing it um, still, even uh, up until, ten, you know, 10 years old, this is one. So forget the 8-year-old, this is a 10-year-old. Anyway, it does seem a, a little bit uh, creepy. And Dr. Lori, if people see a mom breastfeeding a five or above year old, is it appropriate to call authorities? No, I would not consider this child abuse myself. It, it's, uh, it's, it's weird uh, it, to us anyway. Maybe in in some maybe some cultures they do do it much later. I, I don't know, but I, I don't think that would be um, reason to uh, to call the authorities. Another texter says, I actually saw that at Fairview and woman and son was not shy about it. Doing it in public, that's creepier to me. Um, <laughs> that is, yeah, no, uh, I would find that a little bit weird. 
Uh, People are getting ever more fed up. We have to be vigilant, though. I'm following the Korea nightclub outbreak from May 7th. Those guys are contact tracing world leaders and have accessed 65,000 people after some 150 infections resulted from the one person visiting three clubs. That's interesting. It's under control now, but they are ever vigilant, and we have to be too. I haven't been with my girlfriend in over two months. Sure, the eternally 15-year-old male part of my brain wants to masturbate and look at porn, which I used to do not too long ago, but now I have a laugh with her about it all. We will get together again soon, I hope. You know what? I I like your attitude, and uh, it's positive, and, and keep going because we kind of need this, right? Right now we have to... Stay a bit uh, positive. Uh, all right. Why is semen sometimes chunky or fluid? Uh, so you need to know that semen coagulates. Normally it coagulates when it's in contact with the air, which makes it chunky and uh, which makes it thicker, basically. It also coagulates when it's in contact with the acidity discharge in a woman's vagina. So there's that too. And it also depends on how long ago you last ejaculated. If you ejaculate often, then it might be more watery than it less. That's as much as I can tell you about that. 514-800, you still have a few minutes left to uh, uh, send in your comments or questions. (laughs) Chunky sperm, chunky kids, nah, I don't think the two are related in any way at all. Uh, My wife and I have been married for 33 years and have had a good relationship and love life through the years. However, now that we have passed the 54 years age mark, my wife is passing through the symptoms of menopause. And in the past six months, she finds having intercourse to be very painful, so much so that now, even though she has desire, she doesn't want to go through the pain. We have tried using lubricants with little success. She is still in pain. She she will not take um, hormone replacement therapy because of the family history. She is high risk for cancer. Any suggestions? So there are uh, intravaginal creams. So there's hormone creams that apparently are safe even if you are, uh, let's say, high risk, considered high risk for uh, for cancer because it doesn't go or minimally, minimally goes through your, your um, bloodstream. But there are other options as well. So what you're trying to do here is to Uh, return some of the moisture that the vagina has lost. Uh, There is a non-hormonal one that you can get over the counter called uh, Gynotroph. Gynotroph is one. Replens, I think, is another one. So those are available over the counter. That They're like suppositories that you put into the vagina on a daily or, or several times a week kind of thing to restore some of the, the natural moisture. I would recommend using a silicone-based lubricant rather than the, the like, like a, a KY jelly, like a jelly kind of lubricant, water-based lubricant. It's more oily, better. You may have to adjust your uh, sexual positioning also to see if there are positions that work better for her and, and not as good. So this is something you have to try out with her because um, the vagina does can change shape as well or uh, it, it just it can change. So you have to be able to adapt to that. I would also recommend recommend at this point, like shameless plug for my book, but I wrote it for just 
this kind of situation is the sex Bible for people over 50. And it goes through every possible thing, uh, like that women go through that men go through and offers you the different solutions for you to, um, to try. So it's not, you don't have to give up sex. She doesn't have to have painful sex. It does not have to be painful if we can figure out what's causing the pain and just, uh, try and adjust, uh, several things in there to reduce that, that kind of pain. In the worst case, uh, also she can try if the pain persists is to go to a pelvic floor physiotherapist that can help with the stretching and, uh, with, with, um, pelvic floor control, which could also help alleviate the pain. Uh, I agree, Lori. I'm one of those people who doesn't want to burden others, hence bottling things up as well as equally due to the fact that everyone has always come to me for my empathy and advice, in which case I feel obliged to be their solid, dependable rock, thereby ultimately refraining from divulging my proper vulnerabilities. But that's sad because you end up losing out and it's not really healthy for you to keep everything bottled up. So I get it that you you don't want to burden others, but others are burdening you. And not that it's a burden, by the way, it's like it's sharing and it's a mutual sharing. So you don't need to always be the rock and otherwise you will end up suffering. Rocks can crumble under too much, uh, heaviness, right? So you can't be the one absorbing everybody else's stuff and, and you never having an outlet to share your own. So if you don't want to do it with friends, do it with a professional, do it with someone who can like, just so you have an outlet, uh, for this, because otherwise it's, it gets, it, it could eat you up inside from the inside. So, um, it's, uh, it's helpful. Um, wh- <laughs> wow, that texture is like me. Yes, so that was from the original texter who wrote, does anybody else keep everything um, inside? And yes, exactly. I figured that for a lot of people, it's not that they don't want to share so much. It's that they don't want to, they, they, they want to be the strong person for others. But those are generally people who will attract also um emotional vampires, if I can call them that. So when you're always the one that is the rock, the savior, the the knight in shining armor, the one who I'm going to save that woman, you're going to attract people who will just suck it, suck out the emotions out of you. They'll just suck you dry because they'll dump so much on you because you have no boundaries. So in a healthy relationship, you, there has to be this give and take, and we have to be able, we also have those, those boundaries set up, right? But if you have none, then you're going to attract people who are going to take all of that from you. And that's not going to be healthy for you. So I want you to think about that. I know what you feel you're doing the right thing by being strong and, and helping others and saving others and what have you. But I'm asking you to be a little bit uh, selfish and not that it's selfish. I just want like, I want to point that out. I know to you, it will feel selfish if you think about your own needs, but it's normal. You should be feeling, you should be thinking about your own needs and taking care of yourself and having your own 
boundaries. Texter writes in, how true about the emotional vampires? Oh, yes, if you're that kind of guy, you will attract those kinds of people around you who will who will just suck it out of you in that way. Absolutely. So uh, look up emotional vampires. You will see that description for sure. Uh, yes, tell the other people that the person needs a break and need to recharge his or her emotional energy. State his or her boundaries for sure. So, yes, thank you for reiterating that and putting it in other words. But boundaries, very, very important for healthy relationships. Thank you so much for uh, being here with me tonight. Uh, thank you to our technical producer, Dave Simon, tonight. You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito. My last name spelled B-E-T-I-T-O. Or easy way to get through to me is uh, through my website, drlaurie.com, D-R-L-A-U-R-I-E.com, where you will find a uh, couple things on my website. A, if you click on the Passion Radio tab, you're going to be, you're going to find all the podcasts of all the past shows that are listed there. And also a couple of my uh, TEDx talks are also there that you, uh, you can view about sexual pleasure and sex in long-term relationships. Coming up next here on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion.